Hello, and welcome to Making Creativity Pay, the podcast where we talk to people in creative industries about how they promote and market their work. I'm Dan Barnett, and on this episode I will speak to Sheldon Southworth, aka Dickie Ticker, from the band The Lancashire Hot Pots. The band's motto is 21st Century Folk for 21st Century Folk, and have released albums including Nevermind the Hot Pots and Achtung Gravy, and have performed at festivals such as Glastonbury and Kendall Calling, as well as touring the country and are currently on their Bisto Inferno tour. We talk about the challenges facing a live band in the current economic climate, promoting the band online, and the various tools and techniques involved in selling tickets to live shows. I start the interview by asking Sheldon to give a bit more info about himself and the band. Okay, so uh, I, my name is Sheldon. I'm the principal songwriter and you could argue business person within a band called the Lancashire Hot Pots. Uh, myself and the the main core of the band, we'd been um, struggling weekend musicians for a, a period of time doing a variety of musical styles. Um, end of 2006, 2007, we stumbled across um, a little um, comedy skit that we decided to do uh, and create a band called the Lancashire Hot Pots, which was a folk band, Lancashire folk band, but sort of parodying folk bands to a certain degree in that we decided to talk about and write songs about um, the things of the day. So folk is very much a... um, uh, a medium and a, and a genre that reflects on past times. We decided to to write songs, uh, folk songs, uh, around the the current things that were happening um, with the advent of social media and MySpace, as was. Then we sort of got a a bit of a following, and we've been growing our audience. Ever since then, uh, we tour nationally. You could probably argue that we play to an average, about on average, four hundred people uh, for each and every show. Obviously, that's a that's a range. Uh, it, we played a show in Newcastle, which was a two hundred and seventy-five capacity venue. That was a sellout, so that was the smallest thing we did last year. Our largest show was in Manchester, which was I think to about fourteen hundred people. And we play um, the uh, main stages of sort of medium-sized festivals. So the biggest one we'll do is Kendall Calling, which is based in the Lakes, and they have a capacity of about sort of twenty-five thousand. So what we our our main task in life is to balance the day jobs Monday to Friday, and be a professional band of a weekend. And so within that, obviously, it's it's quite a a northern themed kind of thing. I mean, how do you, how do you find it kind of goes down in the rest of the country? Um, it's well, wherever we play, um, northern expats tend to turn up. So in London, there there will be a a lot of people who have previously lived within the north. But um, it's funny. A, a couple of years back, somebody came to us uh, and said that that where, wherever you are from within the country, you have a position to the band so yes you know we 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 lean very very heavily on the fact that we're from the the north of england and you know perhaps uh, playing with with northern sort of stereotypes so the people in the northwest they love us simply because they can really sort of see themselves very much within us 
and maybe in other parts of the country, sort of down south, people can can look at us, laugh along with us. But maybe that, that you know, there's some interplay with the fact that I enjoy these people, and maybe I enjoy them because they're they're nothing like me in in some yeah. respects. So I mean, it's interesting when we so, were kind of yeah, arranging it, this. You kind of said that you were free dinner time, and then I thought your dinner time is really different to my dinner time. <laughs> and that's kind of one of the things you can talk about. Is that yes. It's the same country, the United Kingdom, but you know there are there are still within that lots of differences. Yeah, certainly region, regionally. It, 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 when you when you think about, I mean, society, I won't say it is necessarily homogenised, but we don't. Maybe the the regional differences seem to be very much ironed out in the twenty first century. Um, so in the southwest, they they still have scrumpy and western. Which is how the uh, the, the Wurzels genre of music is is referred to, but uh, yeah, I can't necessarily think of of many other regions that that still have their own unique musical musical identity. You know, so Lancashire folk music is is still something that uh, that is um, that has a uh, you know a, a little bit of a a following and, a, and an identity in the uh, in this particular uh, century yeah. it's interesting you mentioned myspace there we've had a previous guest talk about bebo and all these kind of things because you know to some extent people think of a lot of this thing as as more more recent but in reality it's probably 20 plus years now that online has been a, a tool to kind of develop and promote and so on yeah i mean i speak to so many people and previously i was a lecturer at a college at an fe and a he level and you did have to very much appear to be the old person and describe to them what music and music promotion was like prior to the days of sort of myspace because for the most part you had you had your own websites there were bulletin boards i think that was one of the main ways that one of our previous bands used to uh, used to reach out to try and find a new audience and you know we are we are very much spoiled i know social media has its has its down points but in terms of you know something like the meta and its various platforms within there you know as, as a marketing tool there really has never been a better time to be a musician i would argue and just because of the tools that they have which allow you either organically or paid to uh, to reach out and to uh, to build a following yeah. i mean how do you find that because obviously nowadays you have to be on multiple platforms and responding to people and so on so you know you were saying you know that it's in terms of playing it's a weekend thing but in terms of promotion and social media and everything else it's almost a full-time job it it, it takes an enormous amount of time and I try to stress to people um, I mentor uh, musicians through uh, in various sort of capacities um, I'm, a, I'm a mentor for the help musicians charity and th- th- there's different ways of looking at it. if you're just sort of starting out the chances are that in terms of the maybe the content that you create and the messages and uh, comments that you will get they will only be a handful say so it, it's fairly easy to, to keep on top of those obviously as hopefully you know you you, you gain a, a larger following replying to which is what i try to do replying to each and every message can it, it is a time consuming 
capacity, but that is the best way in order to turn a casual uh, follower into a fan. Uh, we had one piece of con- in fact, it was the first piece of content that, that went viral for was on TikTok, I think, either last year or the, or the year before, and the, there was something in the region about four or 5,000 comments. It was a case of trying to reply to as many of those as possible so it is it is a job in itself but for me it has to be done because that's the best way to turn if you want to use though you know, a, 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 a terribly sterile marketing term in order to turn that cold audience into a warm audience there has to be a level of engagement in order that you can start building a relationship with your audience. Because the whole point is that there's such a demand for our attention and there's so much content out there and, and performers trying to trying to build an audience. An audience. The 90 to 95% of the people won't ever respond to a comment. So what you really need to do is you need to respond where appropriate, um, talk to people, and it's getting back to you know those old principles such as uh, Dale Carnegie was it how to uh, win friends and influence people, and if you want somebody to be interested in you, first of all you have to be interested in them, and that's the that's the first step on the ladder. Yeah, and in in terms of kind of what you do do you see it as you're a live band and you sometimes make albums or are you recording and you go out live to promote them or is it very much a the live experience is, is the key thing if i had just been in the band for so long it's probably fair to say that we have discovered that people would prefer to see us live um over and above listening to the music either online or um through um uh, through a purchased hard copy in terms of turnover it's probably fair to say that 90 probably percent of the income that we make is through live shows and to a certain degree that's because we've we 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 worked at getting the live shows as engaging uh, as they can possibly be so for us it's it's a focus experience tells us that people would prefer to see us live over and above maybe either the music that they'd stream online or sort of a, a physical CD or media purchase. We've worked quite hard in not just going out there and playing a gig. It's very much a show. It work, we, I tend to think that, that what we do works better in theatres than in sort of standing O2 Academy type venues just because what we do is it's, it's quite theatrical in a way so um i probably 85 to 90 percent of our turnover and income actually comes from our live shows and because we can only play a a modest number of live shows because we can only gig at the weekend we'll probably do something in the region of about 30 shows and festivals this year so our job is to try and get the largest possible attendance for each and every uh, one of those shows so you know it, it's quite focused in that these are the dates where we're sort of playing in terms of our marketing and promotion everything has to be based around those so so one of the one of the things that we do and uh, my sort of I won't necessarily say formula, but the way that we've been able to grow the businesses, we'll, we'll put out regular social media video content, which for 2023, 2024 is, is vertical video. Your, your reels, your TikTok, and what is now YouTube shorts. We will put out 
on a regular basis, vertical videos in terms of us performing at live shows and they will get a, a modest amount of views and a modest amount of engagements. And every once in a while, there'll be one that overperforms. And for whatever reason, normally you, 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 you've no idea why, but the, the algorithm has blessed you with maybe two, three, four, maybe 10 times uh, the number of views that you normally get. So it's a case of me then putting some ad spend behind that video and showing it to a selected number of people in the places where we're going to play and where I necessarily think we need to build a bigger audience. So we've got a gig coming up in Derby. It's a 500 capacity room um, without any level of promotion. We might only get sort of 400 people in there in terms of our existing audience. So for the next month or so, my job is to pay to show our best performing content to people within that particular location and several other locations throughout the country where we're playing that's whole that's sort of birmingham so specifically in those areas because those are the areas that we're playing and for me because i know we'll never do a gig in leicester say there's no point me spending any money to advertise ourselves in leicester because we won't be able to take advantage of an audience there and get money from the people in Leicester. So it's identifying where we're going to be playing, building an audience within those locations, playing those locations, trying to get them as um, as filled, those venues filled as much as possible. And that's basically the, uh, it's, it's a case of rinsing and repeating. For the, for the Derby um, show, for example, how much support do you get from the venue itself in terms of promotion? You would be surprised at the level of support from some venues. What most people don't necessarily realise in terms of music venues and to theatres to, to a certain degree, the main money that they will make from live shows is, is behind the bar. It, it, they make their money from, uh, from beer sales. So you'd think that a venue would try and do its best to promote each and every show that is held within their premises. But unfortunately, venues um, can be extremely troublesome in the fact that it may well be that they don't specifically have a marketing person. The person who uh, maybe is involved in marketing isn't that maybe au fait with current sort of marketing practices. So, so it can vary. The, the Derby venue... I think we've had the gig on sale October, November, December, maybe maybe three, three and a half months. And we've had three social media posts from the venue and they do see to, seem to be very keen to be pushing the show online. Sometimes you'll get uh, maybe one social media post from a venue, either when the show goes on sale or on the evening of the show, which is a little bit too late. Um, but I, I just don't know why, because for the most part, um, because I uh, during the day I work for a uh, for a for a gig promoter. We we put on gigs up and down the country from Glasgow all the way down to to London. And there's normally there's normally three parties involved in promoting a, a live music event. Chances are there's an external promoter. Most venues don't actually promote the gigs that go on within their own venues for various logistical reasons. It's easy to let an external promoter do it and therefore take on all the risk of paying the artists. There's the venue and, and there's the artist themselves. So it's a tripartite thing. And it works best when all three parties are pushing, continually sort of promoting 
the event. What you might get from a particular promoter could well be them sending them making one social media post, sending uh, some A3 posters to the venue, and that would be about it. Again, the venue might do one social media post and do very little over and above that. So it, it is very much a case of ourselves as artists. We try and do as much as we possibly can, working on the basis that you you have no control over the level of effort that the other people who are involved in this particular endeavour that they will give you. And in terms of ticket sales, I mean, are you able to see on a daily basis or do you need, do you have to kind of chase someone up to say, well, Derby's up to 385 now or, or whatever it would be? Well, I'm I'm lucky enough to work for the promoter who promotes my show, so I actually so it's a it's a it's a bit of a, a, a busman's holiday. Um, ticket counts normally come through on a Monday or a Thursday, so I, I get to promote and and execute all the admin with regards to our particular shows, both on um, both at our shows, but because I work for for this promoter, I handle shows for other acts all over the country so you know I, I i can see the comparison maybe between ourselves and and other artists and it, it is still very much because we are a small concern we have virtually zero media coverage that i know that if, if we don't do the marketing ourselves and create the audience and create that awareness through social media then ch- chances are though you know the gigs would not be as much of a success as they uh, as they yeah. are and i mean how much of the the old school promotion so going on local radio lo- local newspapers what's left of them is is there still much there or is that kind of dead now maybe it was it was on one of Sean Adams with his drowned in sound podcasts where he said there was i think 600 million um that the music industry is spending on marketing and promotion, but obviously uh, music publications are falling by the uh, the wayside simply because all the marketing budgets are going into social media platforms. And uh, with ourselves as promoters, it is probably the case also that everything that we've got, probably 90 8% of the budget will go on social simply because in terms of a geo-targeted advertising, uh, you can reach the people that you need to reach in a specific location. And you can tell whether somebody's taken an action maybe in terms of um, clicking a buy button, which will take you to a, a, a ticketing sort of website. In terms of other platforms, like putting an advert in a, in a newspaper, you've absolutely no idea whether anybody has has seen that so there will be a case of uh, sending sort of posters to venues but i don't think we we used to um, the company that i work for used to take out maybe a quarter page advert in uh, a local newspaper something like the manchester evening news and we'd have um maybe five or six shows on there and the cost of that ad could be split between um each particular show but um I, I would say that, that you can't afford not to use social media simply because the level of targeting that they give you is so much better than anything else that you're going to get within within the, the media landscape. Um, 
for for our big Manchester show a couple of years back, we experimented with a PR person just to see um, what a press they could get for our show. And I think there was one. We I think we spent two hundred and fifty pounds, and there was one tiny mention in one sort of listing magazine, and it, it didn't necessarily move the the needle. So we just concentrate everything online. With a tour, I mean, you're saying you're kind of Derby, for example, trying to promote it. Because of all the fixed costs, the cost of paying a promoter, paying the venue, is there like a huge difference between 80% capacity and a sellout show? Because I I work for the promoter, we're quite lucky in some respects that some promoters are, should we say, uh, more unscrupulous than others and will load in perhaps unnecessary costs which are unidentifiable and you can't necessarily trace them back to say, did did you really spend £100 on local advertising? Uh, There was one gig that we did in Cardiff and we'd been billed for a rider which we'd actually bought ourselves. So, uh, yes, it it, it pays not necessarily to be a forensic accountant but to, to go through your settlement and uh, make sure you haven't been charged for something that you've not necessarily received. So, so we're quite lucky in that we we're we're very uh, lean and very tight in terms of our expenditure. So, because we are playing mostly to eighty percent capacity and above, and because our costs are so low, uh, we've been gigging. I think fifth. Over over 15 years, and it was only last year that we employed a couple of road crews simply because we do it all ourselves and it's cheaper that way. And um, I still operate the merch stall on uh, a lot of out-of-town shows. So so even if the venue isn't maybe at 80% of the capacity, if it's for whatever reason, it's only about 70%, we we will walk home with a a decent amount of money. But that's simply because we we try and strip out as as many costs just so that we can still walk away with a a decent amount. Yeah, you mentioned the the merch standards. One thing I wanted to come to is that it's one thing that's mentioned a lot. I, I see a lot with artists saying, you know, a venue will make will say that they have to run the merch stall and they have to take a 30% cut or whatever it would be. I mean, how, have you found that there's a lot of difference with different places about how loose they are with that? You know, do they let you just get on with it and what you take is yours and others that, you know, are right on top of that? There is a huge difference. We play a lot of smaller independent venues who don't charge. Some venues will charge... Uh, rather than a percentage, I think this is actually uh, better for most artists, they will charge you a small amount per ticket sold. So there's one venue um, in Birmingham where we play, and I think it's 13 pence plus VAT, where we will get charged no matter... So so again, so if, if you're not sure how much you're, go- you're going to sell, you, you've at least know um, exactly how much it's going to cost you rather than, I mean, you could have a fantastic night and do £2,000 on the merch stall and that's going to be maybe 25, 30% of that. I think theatres are the the biggest culprits in pretty much every theatre that, that we play. They will take 20 to 25% of the merch takings. Um, the, the thing is that... that I once heard an interview with Peter Hook and he basically said 
that no artist likes it. Why don't they just identify an amount, whether it's £200 to £500 or whatever, just load it onto the high cost of the venues and everyone would be happy. You know, if, if it's if it's just a, a cost that's rolled in to your settlement, where you, you chances are you probably won't won't even look at it on the um, on on the settlement. Everyone would would walk away uh, and feel less disgruntled. But it, it, you know, it that can be a, a, quite a significant amount for uh, for smaller artists, especially if you get a a good taking on the merch stall. I think uh, we make on average uh, three pounds per head. For everyone who attends our show, so if if we play a, a four hundred capacity show, we will make on average twelve hundred pounds there or thereabouts um, currently on the merch store. Yeah. So I mean, you were, you were talking about the, the focus is on live, but I mean, I had a quick look on Spotify. You've got twenty thousand or twenty one thousand monthly listeners. Uh, your top song Chippy T's got nearly nine hundred thousand listens now. So I mean, that's a that's a fairly you know significant number. Are you looking to push that, try and get a push onto a, onto a million? Advertising your music on streaming using social networking platforms. For me, um, it's, it's a no-go. The costs incurred trying to get um, a Facebook or an Instagram user to click a particular button, which will take you either to a landing page, which can then take you to one of a number of streaming services or a, or a clicker button and that will take you direct to a streaming service because of the amount of ads that you will have to show before one person will click that could be in the region of about 30 pence say on average so before you, you might have to run um 10,000 ads and somebody will click that button and that will take them over to Spotify and they will hopefully listen to your song. So it's going to cost you on average 30 pence. The money that you will receive back in terms of streaming royalties is one-tenth of one penny. So it doesn't take long to, to realise that it's a huge cost for very little return. Now, the idea is that if you do this enough times and enough people do stream your music, then algorithmically what will happen is the platforms will realise that your music is being consumed to a significant degree and then will push it out algorithmically over and above what it will have done before. So it's, so you can run ads to try and create sufficient momentum where the platform We'll push that out, but the costs of that are significant. And I've seen one particular person who do, he does sell these courses, and he's quite upfront in terms of the results that you are likely to get. Even he, in um, one of his pieces of content, said that it's going to take you between three to ten years to recoup your advertising spend. And I'd rather just let everything. Uh, be organic if people want I mean you know we will use things such as um, Instagram stories to link to a new release but I'm not spending money get, spending a modest amount of money getting a precious little amount of money in return when I know I can spend that money better to create uh, attention to build an audience in locations where we're playing and then get money back reasonably easier by getting people to a live event so if so so the streaming royalties 
they're you know their greatest passive income i think on average we get from from all our sort of streaming royalties and all the different platforms i think i think we get about a thousand pounds a month which is nothing to be sniffed at in, again in terms of it, it's passive income it will it will keep coming in and it ebbs and flows when we enter um sort of festival season then one of our songs will be on the official uh, festival like spotify playlists and we'll get a uh, we'll, we'll get a bump from that so it's it's nice if it happens but the, the, there is very little financially to be gained from uh, promoting music on on streaming it, it's it is just nice to have the kind of the in between between the old school marketing and the the new social media would be kind of email marketing. Do you do you undertake anything like that? I had a look at the website. I couldn't see any any mailing list. Yeah, it's our drummer who runs our website. I, keep, I do keep reminding him every now and again that he needs to put that button. Yeah, we've got a um, we have got a, a Mailchimp, uh, which is it's it's only got a couple of thousand people on it, and I do periodically use it i really should use it more than i should and for my sins i only ever contact people whenever there's 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 an announcement to be made in terms of maybe new merchandise um maybe there's a tour going on sale you ca- even if you haven't got a user's um location data mailchimp is quite good in that it can cross reference other um information that you have uh, online and it can try and estimate where you are in the country and it, again let's go back to derby as, as a way of example so it, it can estimate uh, out of all the thousands of people on our mailing list who might be in and around derby and, and i can send those particular people a, a, a targeted a targeted email so it it, it is still there and it, it and it is important because do people still do their uh, check their emails i mean people such as ourselves the slightly older people maybe more so that than uh, than the, the the youngins um text marketing is something i've been i've been meaning to um to take a look at because uh, apparently it costs between 2 to 4 pence to send a a text to somebody but the open rate is something like 99% compared to the open rate of emails which is at best 25% so that's something i will endeavor to look at this year yeah um i think you, you mentioned tiktok earlier so it's it's one thing you know it's taken me long enough to get from twitter to instagram to now move from instagram to, to tiktok seems seems a bit much but i mean I've, I've spoken to other people uh for the podcast and they've kind of said it's the advantage of tiktok is that you can go viral you can go big with little previous kind of activity or previous spend whereas something like instagram you know if you've only got 50 followers it's not going to get that big push but with something like tiktok it can take off i mean you said you've you found some videos do do a lot better than others i mean how have you found tiktok overall uh tiktok was great in um about two years ago because it wanted to uh become a uh, a platform of growth it was giving all the users a lot of organic reach so uh, a lot of our videos w- were doing very good numbers what i've tend to found is that as we've gone on and maybe as more professional creators have uh, dominated the platform um, the views that we get have decreased. Now, what you said in terms of trying to, to build a following, now that Instagram and Facebook have adopted Reels as their primary platform, the distribution of Reels is very much the same as TikTok in that it's not really based upon your number of followers. The success of your content will be dictated to by the level of engagement that it receives. So all these platforms now 
TikTok and uh, Facebook Reels and Instagram Reels will seed out your content initially to a random selection of people who aren't even necessarily your followers. And they will gauge the engagement that that receives, whether that's um, likes, comments, tags, shares. And based upon that level of performance, it will then start seeding out to the next layer of people. And they will check the level of engagement, the number of likes, comments, shares and tags from the next tier of people and, and so on and so forth. So even what what we found is that because I, I actually started to use Reels more so than just posting directly to my feed, we encountered a, a massive amount of growth on Instagram. So 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 it, it is now possible to achieve a, um, a, a greater amount of growth on traditional and existing platforms. Whereas previously, you know, the growth had pretty much flatlined on both of those. And like I say, our numbers on Facebook and Instagram now are, and the amount of growth and the views that we get, it's, they far exceed what we get on TikTok. TikTok very much seems to be throttled these days. And uh, it'd be interesting to see what, what most creators do seem to say that they don't get the reach that they, they once did there. Yeah. And so, I mean, when you've got the real world gigs, how much when you're there, either literally while you're performing or when you finish performing or at the merch stand or anything else, I mean, how much are you pushing, you know, follow us on Facebook and on Instagram and all the rest of it? Or do you just kind of concentrate on the show? I concentrate on the show. Well, chances are if people are there at a gig, they already follow us. On a, on a social media platform. So maybe the only instance where that wouldn't be the case is if we were appearing at a at a festival, say. But it, I, I think if you're appearing at someone else's show, you, you, you are being hosted by by another entity. I don't think it's it's right for... I mean, we don't even say, um, as, as we're signing off the end of our festival set, to... Um, to say, you know, come see us on t- on tour or what have you. Chances are, if if people have enjoyed us, we will, uh, you know, they will automatically seek us out online. Thanks so much for your time. I don't know if you wanted to kind of just do a, a little bit at the end, just to say where people can find you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. So if uh, I have piqued your interest and you'd like maybe uh, to to have a look, um, you can just Google the Lancashire Hot Pots. Our various social media platforms um, will be available through a uh, through a search. If you got any questions, maybe that you want to ask me, if you are you know a musician and you'd like me maybe to look over your own sort of uh, social media platforms or offer you some advice, I'm I'm always open for anything. Won't charge you anything. Uh, all you'll have to do is listen to me ranting and my rants will probably say you need to be creating more content and engaging more with people. And <laughs> that that is the secret, I would like to say, to, sort of to our success. And I mean, with that, are you are you disciplined enough to say it needs to be 10 pieces a month or whatever else and, and you, you create them? Well, if, if you listen to Gary Vaynerchuk, who will say that you need to be creating three pieces of content per platform per day. I, th- I think if you've got one good piece of content, when, when I first started uh, posting on TikTok, I mean, I, you know, we, we've all got jobs in, in terms of the band. We, we, we haven't got time to be creating things each and every day. So it's better to, to post 
one good piece of content per week rather than four pieces of very dull content which won't get any engagement because the thing is the, the engagement is the thing people have got to be liking commenting sharing it and if you're posting something which is half-baked and which is dull and a lot of it then it's you you simply won't get the reach it's better to be a little bit more disciplined think more about the end product how people will receive it on the other end just do one good piece of uh, one good piece of vertical video content a week and see how you go from that thanks for listening there's more details in the show notes about where you can find more about the Lancashire hot pots and if you enjoyed this check out some of our previous episodes where we speak to people about making creativity pay